we're living in a day when the basic tenets, the foundational beliefs, the core practices of the Christian faith are under attack. We're told it's evil to, to say and believe that there's only one God. We're told that it's evil to say there's an absolute right and wrong according to that one God that we believe in. We're told that we're wrong and on the wrong side of history when it comes to many of the social things that our world is embracing, like same-sex marriage. We're told we're on the wrong side of history when it comes to other social constructs like gender fluidity. We're told we're, that if we teach our children, or in fact, if we teach any children any of these things, it's tantamount to child abuse. Holding any of these ideas and then practicing them out loud brings ridicule and labels us as unloving, uncaring, and if they're bold enough, downright hateful. But these are general attacks. They tend to be generalized across the Christian faith and across the body of Christ, across the church in general. What about when those attacks are personal? What about when you and I experience those seasons, those times in life, when the attacks that we experience from the evil one are not these generalized ones, but they're personal? How about when the attacks come from the evil one, when you're in a place when you're weak, when you're already having a bad day or a bad season? Our text today is one that comes from a very interesting place in the Lord's life in Matthew chapter 4. He is starting his earthly ministry. He had just come from being baptized by John in the Jordan River and hearing that affirmation from his father that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then right after that, the scriptures say, he is led into the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 I will begin reading in verse number one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Before we dive into these temptations and the responses, it needs to be clear that these temptations, this situation, came into Jesus' life by design. It says in the very opening verse, 
that Jesus was led by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He doesn't go into the wilderness to flirt with temptation to see how well he would do. He doesn't go into the wilderness because he wants to show off. He doesn't go into the wilderness just to flex his muscles. He was led there. And he fasted for 40 days. So guess what? After 40 days, he was hungry. He's probably hungry after day three or four, but he was definitely hungry after 40 days. And not only was he hungry, he was thirsty. Some might think that this conversation would be better if it happened at the beginning of the fast or maybe only after a few days. But this happens after six, almost six weeks of fasting. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, in Luke's telling of this same story, Luke says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when he ended, he was hungry. We all go through seasons of life. We all go through those times when the very core of who we are is put to the test. We all experience questions or get questioned about just how deeply, just what are the deal breakers, if there are any in our lives, when it comes to our belief in Jesus. We all get tempted. So how can we stand when these times come? How can we remain faithful when giving in would just, let's be honest, in our human flesh we think this way, when giving in would just save us a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of pain. So let's look at the three examples we have here in how Jesus responded and see what we can learn about how he dealt with this. First, interaction number one, the first temptation. In verse number three it says, now when the tempter came to him, He said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. It should not surprise any of us that when the tempter comes, he's first going to come at our place of most need and address the most present and visible need that we have, a deep desire, and also come trying to meet those unmet expectations. While it's also interesting about this temptation is that the devil doesn't ask Jesus to do anything that is necessarily wrong. There is no prohibition anywhere in the scriptures to look at rocks and make them bread. He's not asking him necessarily to do something that would be a direct violation of scripture. After all, Jesus was hungry. What would be wrong with turning stones into bread? What's also interesting to me, if we look at these three temptations, all three temptations, in every single one of them, Jesus not only responds with the word of God, he not only responds with scripture, but each response is from the book of Deuteronomy. Every single one. In the book of Deuteronomy, those are speeches given by Moses as he is trying to prepare the children of Israel to head into the promised land trying to prepare them to enter the land, he's trying to prepare him to not to prepare them to enter the land, but to take the land and trying to prepare them to remain faithful and strong in the promised land. The devil says, look, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. 
and eat. There is a clear cause and effect relationship between where Jesus is at this moment and what the enemy is suggesting. What would be wrong with this? The Lord's response is clear. But he answered and said to him, verse number four of that opening passage, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter eight. In verse number one, every commandment which I give to you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply, go in and go and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way through these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might take that he might make you, you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The context of Jesus' response is Moses reminding the children of Israel that anything they have and everything that have is because God provided it for them. God wanted them to possess the land, but to understand that not only was the land being given to them because God was merciful, but even the way, the journey, was something God prepared for them. God wanted them to realize that these 40 years they had spent in the wilderness was to create a sense of humility in each one of them. He wanted them to realize that God has always been faithful and would always be faithful, and they would have no reason to turn to any other way of provision but God Almighty. So they would know that it was not by bread that we live, but by the hand of God that provides the bread. It is not about having enough food in the fridge or enough money in the bank. It's about knowing the provider who puts the bread in the fridge and the money in the bank. We don't live by what we see. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The devil wanted to prove to Jesus that physical needs get solved in physical ways. But when we have physical needs, we get on our knees and come to the altar of God and allow him to address every need in our life. We serve a God who is greater than anything physical. We serve a God who is more powerful than any army that has ever been formed on this planet. We serve a God who is more able and more trustworthy than any group majority can ever be formed. I don't care what's popular today. I don't care what the world says is the way things should go today. I'm not interested in what the world declares is what people should be doing and how their needs should be met. I depend on Jesus. Every moment, every day, for every grain of bread. I depend on him and him alone. How we can maintain balance in those times when we're not feeling at the top of our game, and that's when the devil comes. At the very core of an attack is to remind ourselves, not only do I need Jesus, but I need him every day, every single moment. I don't just don't need him when things are going bad. I need him when things are going good so that I don't get puffed up and think that things are going good because I'm wonderful. I'm experiencing the blessings of God because God is awesome and he is wonderful. Jesus didn't need to prove 
anything to the devil. And the reality is, neither do you. Jesus didn't need to show off at all to the devil. And neither do you. Jesus didn't need to defend himself. And neither do you or I. I don't live for the approval of others. I don't live to shut other people down. I don't live for the popularity of the crowds. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, devil, first pitch, swing and a miss. Interaction number two, the second temptation in verses five and six. Then the devil took him up on the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Hmm. For this next test, the devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple and questions the Lord's very identity. Essentially, the devil is saying, prove to me you are who you are by throwing yourself off the temple and endangering your life, because after all, God's going to protect you because you're so special to God. Hmm. And in doing so, he quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 through 13. But in typical Satan fashion, he doesn't quote all of it. Because Psalm 91, verses 11 through 13, he gets some of it, for he shall give his angels charge over you, Then skips where it says, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young, and keep the young, and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. The party left out to keep you in all your ways. And in the Hebrew, that word keep means to guard in your normal, everyday ways. No one has as their normal, everyday ways going to the top of a mountain or the top of any high peak and throwing themselves off and saying, Jesus, catch me. That's no one's daily activity. So as we go about our regular activities, your normal, everyday life, God has promised to guard you and protect you. Aren't you thankful for that? Doing something ill-advised doesn't qualify for the protection here. Again, the Lord turns as a response to Deuteronomy for a comeback. The response in verse number 7, Jesus said to him, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where he says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. Now, the story of Massa refers to when the children of Israel came and tempted the Lord back in Exodus chapter 17. Israel tried to force God's hand because they had just come out of Egypt and they were having a bit of an issue because they were not seeing any water or any food to eat. So they did what human beings have done for centuries and even the church does today when they don't see them that, that they're getting the things they want. We complain and we murmur. There was no water to drink, so they went to Moses and complained. We were better off in Egypt. You should have left us there. Did you bring us out just in the wilderness so we could die here? And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, So we called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, 
because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What a question. It doesn't really matter or it can apply to any situation in our life. No matter how difficult we're going through a challenging season, no matter how much we feel differently, the answer to the question, is the Lord with me, is always a resounding yes. To test God in that way, to have him prove something that is already abundantly true, is a lack of faith. To honestly admit that you're in a place where you may not sense him, that's one thing. But our walk with the Lord needs to be or needs to get to a place where I don't need to feel him to know he is there. I don't need to feel him to follow him. I don't need to feel him to trust him. I don't need to sense his presence and, 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 and feel his presence to follow his ways and obey his commands. He is the Lord. That doesn't change because I feel differently. In my worst moments... I will not put the Lord to the test because he's proven himself to me over and over and over again. He is faithful. I am fickle. So when my feelings go up and down, he remains steady and I can lean on him. I will not tempt the Lord my God. I will trust him. Okay, devil. Swing and a miss. Strike two. Interaction number three, where the devil gets to the real heart of what he wants. The devil wasn't looking for a magic show of stones to become bread. Nor was he looking to see some high wire act that would allow the Lord to be thrown off a pinnacle and have angels rescue him. Another road trip we have to a very high mountain is what the scripture says. And in verses 8 and 9, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. We get to the real intention of what the enemy wanted in Jesus' life. And the truth is the real intention of what he wants in your life and mine. Worship. He wanted Jesus to worship him. He wants you to worship him. He wants this world to worship him and offers, whether he delivers or not, the world in return. The devil is basically asking Jesus to forget and forsake all that he is, forget about your mission, bow down and worship me, and I will give you everything that's on this planet. When the devil comes to you and me and begins temptation like that and is trying to get you not to worship him, he's trying to get you to forget who you are. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are royalty because you're a child of a king. You are made in the image of almighty God. Satan, get thee behind me because I serve a risen savior today. Don't ever forget who you are. And that can be easier to forget or not embrace when it's raining outside. When the rains are coming down real hard like we've had recently. We focus on what we see in front of us. But nothing changes that my God is still on the throne. My God is still in control. And my God is still my God. 
the Lord's response. Then, he, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. That comes from also Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13, 14, and 15. The context, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the other gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. The children of Israel were entering a land that had been promised to them by their ancestors. It was a land that, that would have all kinds of benefits and wonderful things in it. It was said to be flowing with milk and honey. It would also be a land filled with choices. Choices to follow other gods. Choices to blend God's ways with the ways of others. Choices to not be obedient to specifically all that God had instructed them to be obedient to. You see, we're not called as Christians to obey some of God or obey most of God. We're called to obey all of him. We do not worship this Lord. We do not worship the highest bidder. We do not worship the most pleasing physical thing. We worship Jesus and him only. After this temptation, Jesus basically says, uh, bye-bye. You're done. That's not the general state of the world around us. When things start to go wrong, for most people, the highest bidder is the winner. Now, if that's happening in the world, that's actually somewhat understandable because it's in the world. What I've never understood is why that happens in the church. Why the church forsakes sound biblical teaching. While the church doesn't continue to embrace the fact that even in the midst of our most difficult times, God is faithful. Even in the midst of our most challenging days, God is sovereign and he will deliver me. That we can say what the three Hebrew boys said back in Daniel chapter 3. I will not worship the golden idol. I will not bow down to it. Our God is able to deliver me from any fiery furnace. But let's be clear, even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to your idol. I don't need God to come through the way I want him to in order for him to be the God of my life. He has saved me. He has cleaned me up. He has filled me with a peace that passes all understanding. So when the tempter comes, and how many know it's a when, not an if? How can we remain on balance when the storms come? How can we remain at peace when the attacks come from every side? And don't they feel sometimes like it's just every side? Remember that your daily bread comes from God, not from the corner store. It comes from Jesus. Hasn't Jesus provided for you and me? Hasn't he just taken good care of his people? Even when I had less, I had enough. He has taken 
care of me. Also remember that no matter what, I know God will care for me, but I need to not travel into things that are silly. Part of why I stay off of roller coasters. No, I don't mean that. I'm not going there. And I can remember to stay on balance every day because it's him I worship. I don't worship who's in the White House. I never have, and I never will. I don't worship a political party. I don't worship a political action group. I don't worship the popular opinion. I don't look at opinion polls at all. I look to the word of God and to Jesus and him and him alone. Devil swing and a miss by my count that strike three and Jesus sends him packing. So we can all take from this that Jesus took the temptation. He successfully passed it and the devil went away and never came back, right? Hmm. In Luke's account of the story, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In your worst moments, in those most challenging seasons, when God proves to you his power flowing through you and you stand the test and there's this sense of relief, uh, this sense of both release and relief, take care. He'll be back. The enemy will be back. And when he comes back, my Jesus will still be here with me. We will still be walking together. We will still be talking together. I will still be turning my eyes upon Jesus as we sang. The tempter of your soul will be back, but that's okay. He will come back on a day when I need Jesus, because that day is every day. I need Jesus. He'll come back on a day when I'm leaning on Jesus for my daily bread. He'll come back on a day when I'm depending on Jesus for every single breath that I take. You know, I was thinking about this memorial service that I've been asked to participate in. The 20th anniversary of 9-11 and remembering where I was and what I was doing on that day when it was happening. And it's I think it's important and a good thing that we never forget that day. So I think the memorial services have merit. And that would have been the 20th anniversary. It's, it's a number that is noteworthy just from its length anyway. To, to have a special service to remember it. But even in the normal time of remembering the 20th anniversary of 9-11 it would have been somewhat somber. It is even increasingly so when we're remembering 9-11 while in the midst or coming out of, they haven't told us yet which it is, of a pandemic. When we've already been experiencing a challenging time to remember another challenging time. But in all of those challenging times, even when they begin to collide, even when they begin to overlap, even when it seems like, Lord, I can't take one more. Jesus, you got me. You have me. When I get that phone call about one relative, and then I get another phone call about another relative, and then I get a phone call about a third person. Jesus, you got this. I can remain on balance because there is an 
anything that can happen in my life. There isn't any collection of things that can happen in my life that's too big for the power of God to keep me on balance and keep me looking forward to him. Nothing. We serve a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. That's why that last song we sang was so, so vivid. Majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. That's why we exalt him. Lift up on high the name of Jesus. He is the king of all kings. And to remember that the king of all kings died for you and me. He chose to leave heaven, enter this reality as a human being, and die for you and me. He chose to experience our daily limitations, yet while having the power of heaven at his disposal, and to die so that you and I could have eternal life. He rose from the grave so that we could experience an abundance of that life in the life to come and now. That's why we celebrate Holy Communion. That's why we come together for that memorial to celebrate it. I want to make sure before we start, if everyone has a communion cup, if not, you can raise your hand and we can try and make sure you get one. Bible says we should, ex- before we approach the Lord's table, we should examine ourselves. Let's, let's bow in prayer and just, for one moment, just clear our minds of any of our agendas, any of our plans for this holiday weekend, and just focus on our relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you.